Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Uh, We we have a pre-service, kind of a touch point where we talk about some of the things that the Lord has put on our heart and some of the things that we know we've uh, we put into the service today, felt like this is what the Holy Spirit wanted us to do. And at the end of it, I walked over <clears throat> to uh, Pastor Spencer, who was uh, leading that part of the meeting. <clears throat> and I said, boy, talk about a trifecta this morning. So we've got the time change. All of a sudden, the weather drops to 40 degrees and it's raining outside. And for some of you that are you know, paying a little more attention, uh, we just had the 16th largest bank in the United States collapse. And, and that'll rock your world a little bit, like, what is going on? What does that ripple effect look like? And, and listen to me, I'm, I'm, I only share that with you, not to distract you, but to add to what Pastor Spencer's response was. He said, man, them weapons be trying to prosper this morning. <laughs> he said, but it ain't going to happen. Amen. It ain't going to happen. Amen. Amen. I thought, it's so good to be surrounded by people of faith by people who bring you out of the circumstance and back into what God promised. Because how many of you know, I don't care how many things collapse, God knew it was going to happen. God's got a plan, and His plan is to sustain His people and cause us to be everything He's called us to be. If you brought a Bible this morning, open it up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And uh, in case you're just joining us, or you've been here and then not here and then back here again, we've been in what we we call a season-long series of studies. That just means that Our first season of the year is from January uh, all the way through April, and so we we took three of these months, January, February, and March, and we started three little mini-subjects so we could cover a big topic, and the big topic is a theology of place, looking at God has divinely designed these places. It's, the, it's like a locative thing where we, we can intentionally step into it and we know when we're stepping out. But these three places that if we'll weave our lives in and out of these places on a regular basis, they'll give us the spiritual vitality and the rhythm that God designed. Problem comes when we leave one of those places out or we decide, well, we don't like that place. We're just going to do these two because they're all three meant to cascade and ebb and flow back together. So in January, we talked about the secret place, about the importance of us having daily intimate time with God, opening the Word of God, opening our hearts to the Spirit of God, and saying, come and and fill me and refresh me. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, every scripture is God-breathed. And that means that it's valid, that means it's dependable, that means it's faithful, but it also means it's alive. And when we open the Word of God, it's like God is breathing into us life. He inflates us with hope and with faith and with confidence and with wisdom. That's how we get inflated as the Holy Spirit comes and ignites that Word. And so the secret place is so important. And the secret place is really important because it readies you and prepares you to go to the next place, and that's the gathering place. It's where you come together with like-minded believers like we're doing this morning. And and you don't just sit in pews only, and that's part of it, 
because we're receiving instruction and we're, you know, we're collectively worshiping together. But there's times when we're, we're connecting, we're interacting, we're weaving together, connect groups or in, in the, uh, the welcome center before and after service. And, and we're, we're sharing with one another something the Lord said or something the Lord impressed on you or we're receiving from somebody. And this is the gathering place. Really, this is where we learn the basic mechanics of how to begin to articulate, how to begin to listen and understand, and how to begin to share our faith, the basic mechanics happen in the, in the gathering place, just like the basic social mechanics for how you function out in, in the world happen inside of the home. You, you learn at the dinner table. You learn with sibling rivalry. You learn how to submit to mom and dad and how to rationale, how to bargain, how to reason, how to negotiate. All those things happen inside the walls of your house first, and then you take them out into the marketplace and continue to hone your skills. It's not any different in, in the kingdom of God. We start with time with the Father and we bring what we receive there into the gathering place. And we're sharing and we're receiving, we're mixing it up and we're learning all those basic skills. Because the important thing is once we come from the secret place into the gathering place, we have to keep going and we go to the next place, which, which is what we're studying now in the public place. And this is where most Christians don't like to go. They're really happy with the secret place. They're happy with the gathering place, and they like to just keep that circle right there. But just like if we as uh, adults now, or if you have children in the home or young adults in the home, if they just stay in the house and you've got four or five generations, nobody's getting a job, no, nobody's doing anything career-wise, nobody's contributing to the outside world, we're just all kind of living together on Walton's Mountain. That's an old one for some of you. Uh, we're just kind of all together, right? Right? Wouldn't, it, it feels wonderful, but, but there's no purpose in it. We have to be producing. We have to be, to be contributing. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. If we don't learn how to get into the public place, then we're, we're receiving, receiving, receiving. We're kind of sharing, 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 but it's all inside. And we're not contributing citizens of heaven. To the, to the Great Commission, and that's what we're learning. I know it's very uncomfortable for some of you to even talk about this, uh, but I promise you, we're not going to, no pressure and no, no manipulation. You're not going to walk out of here with guilt. Maybe some conviction, that's a good thing, but conviction will pull you in to the things of God. Condemnation will push you out. No condemnation, no guilt, but some conviction. And so last week, because it's so uncomfortable, we, we started and we looked at four things. When Jesus called his first few disciples, he promised them that part of this relationship of following him would be he was going to make them become fishers of men. And that's great news when you understand what, what he was talking about. And so we went last week and we discovered four things. The first thing we discovered is nobody signs up to witness. Nobody signs up to be a fisher of men. That's not why we came to Christ. And that should kind of ease a little bit of the pressure off some of you because you might think that there are some people, the only reason they're a Christian is because they had nothing else to talk about. And they needed something to talk about because they got to talk. They, they got to be out there. Nobody signs up to do this. But, but right afterwards, Jesus was really clear that witnessing or fishing is absolutely part of following him. It's like they're, it's a package deal. And so we, we all of a sudden we start feeling, ah, that, that, see, that's really tough. That might be impossible for you to even think about, well, how am I supposed to do that? I want to serve the Lord, but how am I supposed to do that? And we went on to number three because Jesus makes this incredible promise that most Christians look over. Jesus said, no, no, I'm not putting pressure on you. I just want you to follow me 
and I will make you to become a fishers of men. I'll start you on a process that you will be becoming all the way for the rest of your life and you'll learn how to be more passionate, how to be more confident, how to be more skilled, how to be more sensitive. And you'll get to the point where even if you're an introverted person, even if you're a person that just freaks out when you think about having to talk about Jesus, you know, outside of your comfort zones, but you can become a person that's really passionate, that's really confident about this, that has a lot of wisdom and discretion, and you're no longer ashamed of it. Now, listen, we all deal with the flesh in every area, right? All the way back to the secret place. Some of you struggle with the secret place just because your flesh says, I don't want to get up early. I don't want to do that. It's not always fun. And so we all deal with the flesh, but that's part of Jesus' promise that he comes and he enables us from the inside to have the confidence and the courage and the internal strength and the fortitude, he literally begins to infuse that. And so we lean in and say, I I don't really want to do this in and of myself. I would never do this. But if the Lord changes me and helps me and gives me the strength and even the appetite, the passion to do it, I'll lean in. And, And this is true in every area. It's true in this area. And actually, when you think about it, you're the exact one that God wants to be a witness or God wants to be sharing the faith because you, like all of the rest of us Christians, you were one time a fish. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to not be sure. You know what it's like to feel like you're just lost. You know what it's like to to be wrapped up in a sin or an addiction or a pattern of behavior or a pattern of thought and not know how to unlock that. And yet God came and began to help you with that. For some of you, he set you free in a moment. And then he taught you how to live that out. See, you're perfect to be able to share that with other people. I'm not saying you have all the answers. I'm not saying that sharing comes easy, but it's real to you. It's authentic because you say, listen, you can't talk me out of it because I've been right where you're at. And that's what God wants to use to help people. So, so we've been talking about that. Well, today is the second lesson. and We're going we're gonna to ask this question. We're going to answer it. Is witnessing really necessary? So last week, I, I told you, no one else is coming, right? You're it. Not, not, not all the weight of people's destinies on your shoulders. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But you can't escape the fact that fishing or witnessing is part of following Christ. And if we want to become a disciple, right? The Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And I'm just going to paraphrase, get people saved, but then make them disciples, And by the way, the disciple-making process never stops. So you got saved, and then you entered a process of becoming a disciple, and you're still in that, and part of your learning to become a disciple is to learn to go back out there and fish. That's part of it. And it's an important part. And so we're going to talk today and answer the question, is, is witnessing really necessary? Some of you might think, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's the one who does it anyway, right? And if I don't go, then that's really bad, I know, but, but he'll just send somebody else. And so is witnessing really necessary? And I have really two goals that, not just understanding the Bible, but I have two goals. I do want to answer the question, is, is witnessing necessary? And I think by the time we're done, you're going to see not just that it's a resounding yes, but you're going to understand why it's a yes. Not just because Jesus said it, you're going to understand why this is so important and necessary. But here's the second thing that I want to do, because we're, we're, we're wanting to make disciples. I want to help you in this growth process. I don't want you to come and just be blessed. I want you to come and be changed. 
I want you to let God transform your life. I want you in three months, in six months, in a year, every year that you're here till the Lord comes back, I want you to be able to keep looking in your rearview mirror and say, wow, I'm not the same person. This is working. My life's changing. I don't want you just to learn how to cope with where you're at and say, well, this is, it is what it is. Well, no, it, it's not. Jesus wants to change and transform us. This is what he promised us. So the second goal is really, really important. And I want to help every single person in the church to begin, take the first little step, even if the first step is opening up your mind to consider three conversations. And here's the first conversation. I want you to start talking to yourself. I don't want you to shut it down. I don't want you to put it out of your mind. I don't want you to say, well, that's just not me and leave it in a box somewhere in the closet of your thinking. I want you to pull it out and I want you to start talking to yourself about the importance of reaching people for Christ. I want you to start talking to yourself about the fact that Jesus took all the pressure off and made you a promise. If you'll let me, if you'll follow me, I will make you become a fisher of men. Trust me, I'll do this. Just like you're trusting me to do the other stuff, I'll do this one too. So I just want you to open that conversation up with yourself and being able to have a healthy scriptural conversation. But the second thing is, is closely connected. I want you to, to open up a conversation and talk to God. I, I don't want you to bargain with him. I don't want you to promise him. I promise from now on, you know, I'll be the be best witness or ever. You know, I don't want, I want you to do that. I just want you to be super honest with him. Go into the secret place and talk to him. I'm afraid. I, I, I mean, I, I just get all tangled up. I just get, you know, stressed thinking about it. I, if of all the things that you asked me to do, this is the least one that I want. I don't want to do this. Be honest with him. Tell him that. Tell him, tell him about the time you've had bad experiences. Tell him about where you've wrestled with rejection in other areas of your life. And you're pretty sure that this is just going to be another series of rejections as well. Tell them about how cautious you are about the cancel culture we live in and what if I say something and it just opens up a can of worms and just lay all that out to them and be honest. And then come back to them and say, and so I'm going to need you to really help me to understand what this whole thing means when you say you're going to make me become a fisher of men. Put the pressure, put the responsibility back where it belongs on him and open up that conversation to him. And then listen, here's the final one. As he begins to work, and he will. As something begins to change inside, and little by little, you start coming out of that fear and that inadequacy and that insecurity, and you begin to realize, you know what, there's some things that, that, that I need to share when the opportunity arises, then I want you to begin talking to others about your faith. Now, let me qualify that, okay? I think one of your first best steps is talk to others inside the church. If you're not in a connect group, get in one. If you are in a connect group, then when you have something to say, raise your hand. Don't just sit there and listen because ah, I really don't like to share. Yeah, but you're not working those spiritual muscles. You're not letting the Lord help you to become if you're not even willing to step out when he gives you something to share. And so find the safe zones. But listen, we're not stopping there. Find the safe zones and begin to work that and let him build faith and build courage. And we're going to learn how to talk to others uh, about what we've experienced and what we know. I'm not talking about being preachy. I'm not talking about being pushy. I'm not even talking about having to get people saved. Or I'm not even talking about being verbal all the time. And we'll see that in the story today. I'm talking about learning to become a witness, to become a fisher of men and trusting the Lord 
that he made you. He's going to work in and through your temperament, your personality. You're not to be like somebody else, but he's going to work through who he created you to be and help you to learn how to share the gospel in a way that's meaningful, that's relatable, that's relevant, that's appropriate to the moment. And that gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to bring people to Christ. And this is really important, and, and, and the Lord really wants us to, so, so we're, we're going to learn how to do that. All right, I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Let me kind of tell you what we're getting into this morning. This is primarily a story about two guys who were followers of Christ who needed to be helped to become fishers of men. And they find themselves in a situation, they just kind of walk and they don't realize they're walking deeper and deeper into a situation that the Lord has orchestrated and ordained because Jesus is literally in real time, will watch it unfold. He's helping them to become fishers of men. And so we, we find out that these two guys uh, just, just gave what they had, just said what they saw, <laughs> described what they experienced. And the Holy Spirit used this literally to start a revival in an area and a whole nother group of people was brought to Christ because these men just trusted the Lord. And so we're going to look at that. But before we get into Acts chapter 4, let me kind of give you a quick rundown of the first three chapters of Acts uh, because it'll help us to kind of build up to a context. In, in Acts chapter 1, um, Jesus not only had been risen from the dead, but the Bible says he arose into heaven. But before he did that, he told his disciples, hey, remember that great commission thing I told you, go into all the world, preach the gospel, get people saved, make disciples. Yeah, 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 don't do it yet. First thing I want you to do is to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter one said, because he's going to empower you and once he empowers you, that's me working with him through him. He's going to empower you and you're going to become my witnesses. And some of you say, my witnesses, you know, you're going to start preaching. Well, well maybe, but, but really what he's talking about is you're going to become the spiritual witnesses in a court case as the Holy Spirit is trying to convince people you need Jesus. And so you're going to have opportunities where you're called on to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If they bring up a question, I, I don't know that. I, I, I don't know. I've never even heard of that. I've, I've never gone through that before. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a really good question. I can write it down and come back and answer you. Here's what I do know. And you tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You don't add anything. You don't change anything to adapt to the culture. You're gracious. You're respectful. But you just tell the truth. That's what being a witness is. And Jesus said, you can't do that on your own. But I'm going to give you the ability, I'm going to empower you to be able to do that. And so that's what they did. They went to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 finds out 10 days later, 120 of them have been going to an upper room and spending all day there. And they're praying and they're asking the Lord, okay, you said wait for the Holy Spirit. We're waiting. What's going to happen here? And the Holy Spirit actually comes and fills all of them with power. And they begin speaking about the praises, the wonderful things of God, witnessing. And they're doing it not only in their own language, but they start doing it in this thing called tongues. And other people that speak other languages are like, how did you know how to speak my language? And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're telling me about Jesus in my language. I, I don't want to go any farther than that. We've talked about it. But this is God empowering them to become a witness in an area they couldn't, they couldn't duplicate if they wanted to. 
And yet the Holy Spirit was doing that for him. Acts chapter 3 is shortly after Pentecost. We don't know how, how long. Could be a week. Could be a few weeks. Um, but Acts chapter 3, Peter and John now are on their way to prayer. They're spending time with the Lord. They're going to the secret place. They're going to the gathering place. And they come across this crippled man. And he's been at the gate all of his life. He sits at the, at the entrance of the church. And when people come, he, he asks them for money. And so <clears throat> we don't know how many times Peter and John have walked right past them. Maybe Jesus walked past them. We don't know. But what we do know is this time when, when, they, when they walked past him, the crippled man looked up and he asked for some money. And the Holy Spirit prompted, prompted Peter on the inside. He never had that experience before, but the Holy Spirit nudged him this time, and Peter talked to the guy and said, hey, look over here, look at me. And the guy did, the Bible says, expecting that Peter was trying to get his attention because he was going to give him some money, but instead Peter said, I don't have any money to give you, but I'm going to give you what I do have to give you. And the guy, the, the scripture said he didn't know what he was going to receive, but apparently he agreed to, to take whatever Peter was going to give him because Peter took him by the hand and pulled him to his feet and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And immediately the lame man started walking and then he started jumping and then he started jumping around and dancing and celebrating. Woo, it's a miracle. It's a genuine miracle. We're going to find out later for he was 40 years old and for 40 years he's been, he's been paralyzed. And in a moment, all of a sudden, he's healed. And he is causing quite a ruckus. And evidently, Peter, Peter prayed for him and pulled him up on his feet. And then Peter jumped, oh, that's awesome, praise the Lord. And then they kept on going to prayer. And so this man's following him and a crowd's gathering. And he follows him all the way into the temple. And somebody asked him, what happened? How'd you get healed? And he pointed to Peter, that dude. And Peter looked at me, don't point to me. He said, like, as if I healed you. He said, I didn't heal you. I just felt the Holy Spirit nudge me. And I just prayed like he told me to pray. And Jesus is the one that healed you. And I mean, the crowd's gathering and, and they're excited about it. And Peter all of a sudden realizes, oh, I think this is another opportunity to fish. So he keeps on talking about Jesus. They're like, well, we want to hear more about that. So he keeps on talking to them. And really the rest of the chapter is Peter preaching his second impromptu message. The first one I failed to mention in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this message, which by the way, was crazy impressive because 50 days earlier, Peter's the guy who when Jesus was on trial and somebody said, hey, aren't you friends with Jesus? He was so embarrassed to witness he was so afraid of the pressure in the moment that not only did he say, no, I'm not his friend, he used profanity multiple times and said, I never even knew Jesus, and he ran out of there. You talk about failing witnessing 101. Peter failed miserably, right? 50 days later, though, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Something happens inside, and, and somebody's saying, hey, what's, what's all the commotion here? And he said, well, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's not like, you know, what you think it is. And Peter just, without any notes, Peter just starts talking about, and he ends up preaching a message because the Holy Spirit just starts downloading thought after thought after thought after thought. And he's kind of just, you know, listening to the script that's coming out of him, and Peter preaches a message, and 3,000 people get saved. Crazy, 
right? Then Acts chapter 3 is, you know, just a little time later. Now he's preaching a second message. And, and he, he, he's, I mean, he, he's, uh, he, the people are leaning in. They're listening. You can tell, man, this thing is landing. And meanwhile, the religious leaders, they, they haven't been paying attention, but suddenly they see a crowd gathering. And so they run over to see what's going on. And first thing they see is this crazy man who's jumping up and down. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And they're like, isn't that the guy who used to beg at the gate? And they're like, how did that happen? And then they hear that, well, Peter prayed for him and and he's healed now. And then they walk over and Peter has the attention of a growing crowd. And Peter's talking about Jesus and they didn't know what to do. And so they just wanted to kind of get control back over everything. So they told Peter and John, hey, you guys need to come with us. And they put him in a religious jail overnight just to let things cool down so they could figure out what to do. And so the next morning, they, they call them in and, and they begin to, to unpack, okay, so what's happening here and, and how can we do this? But in the meantime, overnight, word spread all over that region and 5,000 more people got saved. And I want you to understand that because these are not skilled witnessers. These are not people that have a great track record in witnessing. But Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And here's the second time in a major way that the Holy Spirit begins to do something in Peter and he's got these thoughts and he just says, well, I don't know, here's what I'm thinking right now. And he just begins to share. And as he does, 5,000 more people are getting saved. Jesus is making them to become fishers of men. Now we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And we're just going to let the, the, the narrative do a lot of the teaching, but I'll pull some things out and give you a few points at the end. So Acts chapter 4, verse number 5. And it came to pass on the next day, so they've been in prison overnight, that their rulers, elders, and scribes. Now, let me just describe what that is because you got to feel the moment. This is intense. This is like the Sanhedrin or like it would be the religious senate. So when you're watching CNN and you got like a Senate hearing and you see the formalism and you see all the who's who up there and then there's the one person sitting at the table and they're drinking lots of water and, and everybody's, you know, cameras are snapping and that was kind of what was going on here. The, these were the big, the big dogs, right? So as the rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest... Now, this is important because Annas was actually the high priest, but the year before, he was removed by the Roman government because he wasn't cooperating enough. So they came in and they removed him as high priest, but from the Jewish point of view, they said, yeah, he's not allowed to be high priest anymore, but he's still the high priest in our heart. So he still carried a lot of weight. So he's still sitting in the middle of the Senate, even though he doesn't actually have a role right now. But not only that, but Caiaphas, Caiaphas was his son-in-law, and he's now the active high priest. But he's not only that, he was also the high priest when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, and uh, he was the one that was the most responsible for orchestrating Jesus' death. That was Caiaphas. Not only that, but they specifically list these two guys, John and Alexander. We don't know who they are specifically, uh, but we know they're two high up leaders in the religious law. So the big guns have been assembled, but not just them. And as many as were of the family of the high priest. In other words, these were the Jewish elites. This was by invitation only. 
And it was the Jewish elites. It was all the family relatives uh, and anybody who had anything to do with the priestly order. They were all gathered together at Jerusalem. So these were the big dogs, right? These were the top guns. These were, this, this was the, the highest thing. And these are the ones, again, who planned and orchestrated, all of them, orchestrated on how to kill Jesus. And now they're working on how to keep the resurrection hush-hush. It's already gone viral. Everybody knows. But they're trying to explain it away. They're trying to find more false witnesses, just like they did at Jesus' trial, to set up a fake newsreel. And, 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 uh, and now they're trying to just keep it quiet. And so we're still in Acts chapter 4. We're in verse number 7 now. And when they, that's this great senate, had set them, that's Peter and John, in the midst. Again, now imagine CNN coverage. This is like a congressional hearing. It says, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, okay, it's them. It's Peter and John. Peter's the one who prayed. Peter's the one who preached. And now Peter's the one who's the first one to respond. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see that word filled because this is not just means that he was a real spiritual guy and he'd spent time in his devos that morning. This is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. Something literally just infused him. In, in other words, all of a sudden, in that moment, Peter didn't plan this. Peter was not like a real eloquent, kind of a, you know, a, a logical, rational kind of a thinker, right? Peter was more impetuous and, and more run to the battle and figure it out once you get there. And so Peter didn't plan for this. And this is like a very formal, power-packed, stress-filled hearing. But as soon as they started asking him questions, something came up inside of Peter. And all of a sudden, he's got all these thoughts that are coming together, organized. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know how to respond to that. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, again, notice this, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed that, uh, that's done to a helpless man, by what means he was made well, then let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the, by, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, listen to this, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So Peter's saying, you guys remember Jesus of Nazareth? Of course you do because you're the one who put him to death. You're the one who orchestrated the trial. You, you, you set the whole strategy in motion, and you're the one that made sure he died. You were also the one that when God wrote, brought him back from the dead, who've been working so hard to keep him quiet. Yeah, remember that guy? Because that guy is still alive. It's not just that he came back from the dead and then he went to heaven because we know people that we're related to that are alive in heaven. But he says, no, no, he's still alive. Like, I mean, like right now. And he's still changing people's lives. And I just kind of thought you should know, yeah, that's the guy who did this. I, I mean, I might have been, you know, his spokesperson, but it was his power. He did this. And then he kind of adds another layer and he quotes Psalm 118 verse 22. He says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has now become the chief cornerstone. In other words, he's saying, I know you guys really like the influence and you really like the limelight. You want to be famous. And guess what? You are. Because you're the ones the prophet said 
that we're going to be so blinded that when God sent the Messiah, you would reject him. Hey, that's you. You're famous. You're part of God's story. He says, not only that, you're continuing to be infamous because God raised him from the dead. And even though God rejected your idea, you tried to kill him. God said, nope, that's not the plan. God raised him from the dead. You're now rejecting the fact that God raised him from the dead, even though you know it's true. Now, this is what's happening, right? Now, this is Peter. You would think that this guy is an educated lawyer. You would think he's been in a room with his researchers, and they've mapped out a case, and as soon as this thing started, he knew this is his opening statement. Nope. He was just going to prayer. He's just trying to go spend some time in the gathering place. And yet the Holy Spirit come on him and helped him to become a fisher of men, All right? So he goes on, he, verse number 12, he says, now that's the Jesus that you killed him, you rejected him. God said, nope, this is my guy, I rose him back from the dead. Verse 12, he says, and in case you're still not connecting the dots, verse 12, nor is there salvation by any other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, Jesus was and is and will always be the Messiah that God's talked about for all of these years, even if you don't believe it, doesn't matter. It's still true. And, and this, th he's talking to these guys, right? We're in verse 13 now. Now when they, these are back to the religious senate, saw the boldness of Peter, listen, and John. Time out. John hasn't said a word. Right? They were walking to prayer, and the guy says, hey, I need some money. And Peter's like, hang on, John, for a second. And he walked, hey, look at me, look at me for a second. I don't have any money, but here's what I have. And Peter prayed for him. And the guy jumps up and Peter's like, that's awesome. Praise the Lord, that's awesome. And then he joins John and they're walking to the temple again. And then the guy follows him and they're jumping around. And then Peter starts preaching a message. John hasn't said one word, but listen what you have to understand. But he's a witness. See, some people are very outspoken. Some people God will use and they're going to be the ones that are preaching and confronting and teaching. But if we're not careful, we think everybody's supposed to be like that. Well, listen, God may use you like that at times. But there's a lot of times where you might be wired different. Romans chapter 12 is a really interesting chapter because it talks about the fact that God wires each of his people differently. And it talks about the body parts. And it specifically says the body parts are not supposed to compare with each other. And the body parts are not supposed to try to get this body part to be like that body part or that body part to be. We're supposed to work cooperatively and appreciate. And then it goes on to say some of those body parts are very visible and some you'll never ever see. But they're the most vital your internal organs. And, and listen, I'm not saying that we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and there may be times where the Holy Spirit causes us to step out. I'm saying that this whole witnessing thing, if we're not careful, we will back away from witnessing not because of what Christ asks us to do and not because of what he's promising to do in us, but because we think it has to look like that and we're like, I'll, I can never do that. Well, first of all, if you're not wired like that, God's going to use you in your temperament. God's going to use you in, in the way he's created you to be the glowing witness that you're meant to be. You may never look like somebody else. But the other thing is, as God begins to grow and you trust the Holy Spirit, he may ask you to step out of your comfort zone sometime and you end up doing something. You walk away, I would never thought I would do that. And you did. And this is where we trust the Lord to shape and transform our life. But we don't put pressure on ourselves. 
and we don't presume to know what it's supposed to be. In fact, I, I haven't really studied this, so this is a risk, right? Some of you are, are, I got some scholars sitting out here, and so I can't think of a time. I can think of lots of times when Peter took something on head on. I mean, he's back and forth reasoning together and debating the scriptures. And I can think of lots of times when Peter did that. Sometimes he was on the wrong side of the debate, but he did it anyway. I can think of lots of times when Paul did it. I can't think of any times in scripture when John did it. And yet John wrote more, more books of the Bible than anybody except for Paul. John was so unassuming in his own gospel, he wouldn't even identify himself in the first person. He kept talking about the one that Jesus loved. Everybody knew it was him. But he was so unassuming, he's not going to say that, right? And so John was wired for a different setting. But I want you to know, here John is in the thick and the pressure of the interrogation of the religious senate. And they recognize, no, John's right there with him. He's not doing any talking, but John is right there with him. He's not caving. He's not trying to backpedal. He's not adjusting because of the cancel culture, because of the pressure. And no doubt John's there whispering. Somebody's leaning over like, is that true? Dude, it's totally true. I was there. I, I was right there with him. No, he, what he's saying, he's exactly right. Listen, John was John, but I want you to notice John was a witness here. And John was called to, to task just like they, they were. And so it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it says, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, were like, well, how do you know John? Because he, he didn't even say anything. That the Sanhedrin, they marveled. And it means they were, they were stunned. They were like, they don't, they don't even know how to respond to this. It's like, obviously, we can't debate these guys. They're, they're not, you know, uh, educated men. They're not elites at, at this kind of, of exchange. We can't debate them, but we don't know what to do because we can see something in them. And notice this. He went on and he said, and that's when they realized that they, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. It's not that they were both talking and building a case. Peter's talking and he's talking as the Holy Spirit downloads. If they would have stopped and said, what do you mean by that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> but I know it connects because, and they, he was building an airtight case and they couldn't argue with what he was saying, but they also knew you're not smart enough to do this. You're not educated enough to do it. But they saw when the Holy Spirit filled him up and all of a sudden, man, you know, he was sitting there like, what's going on? And all of a sudden he's like, okay, let me tell you what's happening. He changed. And John changed right along with him by the power of the Holy Spirit inside. And when that happened, they knew and they said, okay, we don't, we don't know where you got all this smart stuff from. You're not educated. You're not trained. You're not refined. You're breaking all the rules of debate. But what's obvious to us is you sound and you act just like Jesus. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But, or so, some translations say so, when they had commanded them, Peter and John, to go outside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they took a break, and the Senate's now talking. Here's what, here's what they're talking about. Uh, there was a microphone in there and said, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has done, had been done through them. That's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny that. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let's severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in that name. And let me just share this with you. The enemy's been doing that ever since. 
I, listen, he can't convince anybody that this doesn't work. He can't say, now nah, this is not really changing anybody's life because there's, there's evidence irrefutable and, and scattered all around the earth and have been for generations since Jesus came. You can't deny that this is real, it didn't happen, but you just choose not to believe it. And so you try to put other people in a position where they're afraid to talk about it. He's been doing that ever since. And he's, it, he's doing it here. Verse 18, so they called them back in and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they called them back in and said, okay, here's what we know. We, we get that there's a miracle that happened. We know that. We know that you guys were somehow instrumental. You're somehow involved in that. We've, we've heard other people say that, and, and you've said it yourself. And we can't deny that, that that's real. We also know that you have been with Jesus, that you believe he is the Messiah. And by the way, we're okay if you want to keep that to yourself. So go on to your favorite coffee shop and you guys have your own little group think tank and and you can do that. But here's what we're telling you from this point on under no circumstances are you to talk about or to teach about Jesus. You just can't do that. You can talk about the God of the universe. You can talk about, you know, how, how you have a big story and your life has been changed and, and how wonderful it is. And you can talk about a lot of other things. You just can't talk about Jesus. Not, not, it's not going to happen. And if you do, they threaten them. We don't know what the threats were, but, but they threaten them. But I want you to notice in verse 19, Peter and John's answer. And this time it says Peter and John answered. So maybe it was in tandem or maybe Peter spoke and they said, well, do you think the same thing, John? Because we want to hear from each of you because there's consequences involved. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, Peter's saying, with all due respect, we were there. We were standing in the back and we watched you guys orchestrate this phony trial. We watched you bring up witnesses that had been paid off to discredit Jesus. We watched you influence the judgment so that not only was he found guilty, but he was sentenced to hang on a cross and die. You did that. We were standing right there. We watched you. But we were also there three days later at the empty tomb. We walked in and we saw the grave clothes all folded up and set to the side. Not only that, we were there in the house where we were staying when Jesus walked in unannounced and he ate fish and chips. And he called Tommy to come up. Hey, come on up here, man. Put your fingers in the holes. Here, go ahead. Stick your hand in my side. I want you to know it's really me and I'm alive. There's no question about it. That was Jesus and he was alive. Not only that, but there's lots of other people. Go walk out in the crowd. Lots of other people. He walked into their homes. He walked into their lives and did the same thing. In fact, there was one time over 500 people were in a gathering meeting and Jesus showed up in the middle and started talking. And started hugging and started shaking hands. It says, listen, you can ask us whatever you want. But you can't ask us to stop talking about what we've seen and what we've experienced. Because that's our life. What else do you want us to talk about? The weather? You want to talk about the sports team? I mean, we can't put any of our personal life into it. Because our whole personal life has been changed and transformed because of this man, Jesus. And you can't ask us to stop talking about that. We won't. We can't. And I want you to notice what they did. Verse 21 says, so when they, the the, the Senate, had further threatened them. They're like, we've never had anybody tell us no before. 
And so they just threatened them even more. We don't even know what that was, but they added another layer. Then they let them go, finding no way to punish them, by the way, not because they didn't want to, but because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done, for the man was over 40 years old whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now, let me just take an impromptu poll right here, okay? So this is not a trick question, just an impromptu poll. And, And let me finish the question before you raise your hand. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I have personally seen or personally experienced a miracle by God, something amazing, something that only God could have pulled off, but he did, or, or I know somebody personally who has experienced that, and I can attest, no, I'm telling you, that was the real deal. Let me see your hand. Now, keep your hands up just for a minute. Look, look, put your hands down. Listen, even if you don't buy into this, The evidence is irrefutable. I'm telling you, you walk into any church, but you walk out into the world and you find out people have experienced the miraculous power, the mercy, the grace of God. Nobody's arguing about this anymore. It's not just that, that this is a Bible fact. This actually is a historical fact. All the way back in, 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 you know, in, in the historians of the day, they were tracking with this whole Jesus phenomena because he was drawing thousands of people and he was doing miraculous things and people were buzzing, talking about it all over the place. And when he hit Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the city erupted, not because of the religious feast, but because Jesus was here. And they began to cut palm branches and throw them down and, and began to yell, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Messiah is here. I mean, it just tore the city upside down. Historians are writing about that. These are not Christian religious people. And they wrote about the fact that he was brutally murdered on a cross and that three days later he rose again. Th- this was common knowledge. Listen, it's not a secret. Jerusalem knew it. The whole Roman Empire knew it. And eventually the whole world knew it. Nobody's arguing about this. But even if that wasn't enough, the evidence that still lasts today that Jesus is alive and changing people's lives, it's everywhere. You, you can't argue with it. It's irrefutable. And so they said, you can ask us whatever you want, but you can't ask us that. Now, when we begin to understand this, it gives us three really valid answers to the question, is witnessing really necessary? And I'm going to give them to you fairly quick. You can write them down if you want. Number one, witnessing necessary because something really happened. This is real. And by the way, it's not just another one of those pages in the history book. This thing that happened, quite literally, from every angle you look at it, changed the course of the whole world forever. I don't mean just spiritually. I mean the calendar adjusted. I mean so many things just adjusted, just rocked on its access as Jesus came and began a whole new contract, a whole new covenant with mankind. That's just not a scriptural or a spiritual fact. That's a historical fact. That's a secularly understood fact. Nobody's arguing of that. I saw a Gallup poll not long ago. 84% of non-believing people They're convinced that Jesus was really born, that he really died and he really rose again because the history is irrefutable. You can go go online right now and find at least 15 references without even trying hard that are vetted, validated, widely accepted references from historical authors. And they're all saying the same thing. No, you, you may not believe 
what Jesus said he was. You may not believe the significance of the impact that Christ followers believe, but you can't refute that this actually happened. And because something actually happened, witnessing is necessary. Somebody's got to talk about that. Somebody's got to share that story. I know historians thought it was important because they've loaded up volumes of books. And when these kind of things come up, we, we have to be able to talk Acts 2, 4, 10. Uh, we read it, I mean, I'm sorry, Acts 4, 10. We already read that Peter said, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, yeah, by him, that man is standing before you. The same Jesus who literally was born, who literally died, who literally came back to life is literally still changing people's lives 2,000 years later. That, that's something that can't be ignored. Again, may not believe it. You may not want to accept it. You may not want to buy into what Jesus is, choir, is requiring, but you can't refute the reality that something really happened. So we have to talk about that. Here's number two, and this is where it gets personal to us as Christians. Not only did something happen, but something happened to you. Your life is not the same. And, and some of you are not feeling the vibrancy. Let me just pause for a quick retract or a, a, a step back. You're not feeling the vibrancy because no time in the secret place, not fully engaging the gathering place, which is filling you up, which is keeping you in a real-time relationship with him breathing into your life and filling and inflating you full of hope and chasing fear and insecurity and frustration and healing you physically, mentally, emotionally, and keeping your relationships balanced and intact. All that happens in the secret place, and then it kind of galvanizes and roots itself in the gathering place. And so by the time you get to the public place, you're like, eh, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to heaven, you know, I, I guess. I mean, I hope so. Listen to me, something happened, not just in the world, something happened to you personally. And if you'll spend more time in these places, it'll become so alive and so vibrant to you that you'll be like Peter and John and say, how can you ask me not to talk about it? This is what makes my life move forward. This is what holds me in check when sudden fear comes and the news headlines go crazy and everybody's like, oh, what are we going to do? And I, I can go back in the secret place and I hear the Lord saying, you're going to trust me. I, I'll get you through this. I, I got a plan. I'm going to walk you right through this. I'm big enough. I can do this. See, you can't not talk about that. And that's what he said in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and that's when they realized that they'd been with Jesus. And then they saw the man who was healed standing next to them, and the result, and it's like you, you, you can't argue with these results. So the first reason we have to witness is because something really happened. You, you have to talk about that. That's a big deal. I mean, it was a world-changing event, but number two, that world-changing event has changed your world. It's changed you. But listen to me. Let's just be rational for a minute. Let's say that, when they are, but let's acknowledge that those two are true. Something really happened and something to happen to you. Is that enough to say that witnessing is necessary? I mean, the history books are full of things that happened. Everybody has a story about how their life's been shaped. You can sit down in any, you know, in any, any place, especially the getting things, oh, tell me your story. And then you tell their, you know, they tell their story and then you tell your story. Wow, that's a great story. Everybody's got a great story. So is, is that enough? Just the fact that Jesus really happened and that he's changed my life, is that enough? And we could say, yes, it is enough because it is. But let me tell you something, when you stack it on top of this third reason, 
all of a sudden everything crystallizes. Here's reason number three. Witnessing is necessary because salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. And that's exactly what the disciples said in verse number 12. He says, nor is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. And here's what I want you to hear. We have to talk about Jesus because the number one reason is because salvation in Jesus' name is not intuitive. You can study and you can go on a quest and there's a lot of people out there right now looking for the higher power looking for something that will align their life and help them to move forward. And they might come to the conclusion, you know what I'm convinced of? I'm just convinced God is real. There is a God. Awesome. They might even be, you know, be analytical enough and balanced enough to see and recognize. And, and I'm pretty sure that, that there, there's also a, an enemy and there's good and evil. They're opposed in the world. Yeah, lots of philosophers have come to that, that, and, uh, that, to that realization. And it's true. You might even kind of keep moving down that, that, that continuum and realize, you know, it just seems like to me, uh, call it your Zen, call it, you know, karma, whatever you want to call it. It seems to me that when people are relatively good, that good things happen to them. So I want to become a good person. That's great. But I'm going to tell you, you can, come, you can come to those conclusions by lots of different paths. Lots of religions are luring people in by these paths. Let me tell you what, you will never come to a conclusion just by observing. You'll never come to a conclusion that salvation will come by no other name but the name of Jesus. You'll never get there all by yourself. Somebody has to come and share. In fact, the book of Romans says, if people don't believe, how can they repent? But if nobody tells them, how can they believe? It's so important that we recognize, yeah, our story is great and his story is even better. But the number one reason we have to witness is because people are starving. People are searching. People are groping. And they will never come to this conclusion all by themselves. Somebody's got to share with them at some point. You know what the answer to all this is? Is Jesus. Now, I'm not saying they're going to react well. Right? They may turn around and reject you, and they may say, ah, yeah, that, well, that's your thing, you know, I'll, I'll celebrate you, but, but here's my thing. But the point is that we shared the thing, the truth, and then we let the Holy Spirit build the case. But if we keep backing away, and if we tell them, you know, all of our good stories, and all we share is how disciplined we've become, and, and you know, how we've been better at our budget, and, and our relationship, our communication's better, and, and we stop. And we don't say, but you know what was the catalyst for all of it? Jesus. Jesus jumped into my life. And when he did, he's helping me to become this person. See, here's something that we hear even among Christians, and it's a deception. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. They don't. You won't find anywhere in scripture. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And you can't be forgiven by any other name than putting your trust in the name of Jesus. And, and I know that's difficult, you know, not, not that realization if you're already a believer, but it's difficult to realize the weightiness of that. But, but I'm telling you, this is how it is. God doesn't ask us to, to witness because we're morally superior. He doesn't ask us to witness because we have the perfect relationship, because our budget's finally intact, because we've got it all together and we're finally moving forward. No, God uses broken sticks to draw straight lines. I don't know why. But he doesn't ask us to do that. He asks us because we've invited the Savior of the world into our life and he's making us to become the people that he's created us to be. 
And nobody will come to that conclusion if we're not willing to, to, to share that. In fact, if you've been pressured in the past to, you know, to, to give this big, this polished sermon or to be something you're not supposed to be or to try to come off, you feel pressured about witnessing, well, you have to come off like you've got it all together. Or maybe that was you. Let, let me just say, you know, and I'm, and I'm saying this because I've been on both sides of that fence. Let me just say, I'm, I apologize for that. It shouldn't have been that confusing. It shouldn't have been that hurtful. But listen to me, don't stop understanding who Jesus is and the importance is because the messenger was not perfect. They were trying. And let me ask you something else. Don't stop asking, don't ask people to stop witnessing until they get it right. Well, no, we're all becoming. We're all learning. But we're trusting the Lord. But this is such a weighty thing happened because listen to me, something really happened and it changed the world forever. And not only that, when you realize it and you accept it, something happened to you. And Jesus is progressively changing your life and is offering a whole lot more than most of us are taking advantage of. But even if those two weren't enough, we, we have to share the story because salvation can come to no other name but Jesus. Uh, let me close with this, okay? I, I could imagine it's possible that there's four groups of people in here today. One group are Christians that are already witnessing, and if that's you, listen to me, don't stop doing that. Keep doing that. I hope through in this series, you're going to be able to find some encouragement, maybe get some deeper insight or, or some different insight, and maybe able just to keep letting the Lord become. But listen, don't stop doing that. Keep doing that. But if you're here today and you're a Christian, but you don't witness... And again, my hope is not to make you feel pressure or to make you feel guilty for not doing it. My hope is to open up a conversation with you and yourself. Don't run away from it. Don't hide it. And then to open up a conversation with God and say, I'm terrible at this. I don't even want to do it. I'm afraid. But open that up to him. Bring it to him. And say, but you promised that you would make me to become a fisher of men. And then begin to engage the secret place and the gathering place and start working those mechanics and little by little, watch what the Lord will do inside of you and you'll find these tiny little opportunities. We'll talk more about that next week. There's no opportunity. There's no little seed of God's word that's too small. Tiny little things, little mentions, standing for truth. Those are all opportunities. And so my, my encouragement to you is that you jump in. If you're here this morning and you uh, haven't accepted Christ and you're not even close, you just came here, it's like, man, my friend invited me and he keeps asking me, so finally I just came. If you happen to be that person, listen to me, I hope that at least you understand why it's so important that so many of us are trying to share our faith. And I hope you'll recognize that even if we mess it up, we're learning, we're trying to figure it out. But even if we mess it up, don't let that cloud the reality that something really happened. That something happened to the person who's trying to share with you. And that God wants something to happen to you so that your life can be everything you're supposed to be. And the fourth, per, the fourth group, you might be here today and you've never really accepted Christ or maybe you grew up in church and yeah, but I don't know if I was saved or not. And, and you're, you, you kind of live on the edge, right? I, I know Jesus is real and I, I, I really want to do this, but I don't know. I see imperfect people and I've kind of got some weird stuff in my background and I'm not sure if I'm good enough yet. And you've got all these reasons and excuses, but it all boils down to this. How do I know? And, and let me tell you, you know because the Holy Spirit speaks to you inside. There's something incredible when you take the human heart and you mix it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It resonates. 
something happens on the inside. And, and people will tell you that. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man, but I, 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 don't, something was, I was feeling something in there. Yeah, the Holy Spirit begins talking to you. And if that's you today, here's my question. How many more times are you going to let that opportunity slip by before you finally say, okay, I'm in? Jesus is who he says he was. And he's alive. And he wants to change our lives today. And if you're here and you haven't accepted the Lord or maybe you haven't, uh, been living for him in a long time, then today's the day you open up and surrender to the Lord. That's the conversation. That's the conversation. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit's going to Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.